0: Well, this morning we continue our Sunday morning series on told and for five weeks we've been looking at these untold sides of famous biblical characters and situations to find the compassionate heart of God that extends both grace and mercy to the broken individuals that he chooses to use. And, and two weeks ago, we looked at God's righteousness as we looked at the story of Noah. And in doing so, we analyzed how the compassionate heart of God really extends his grace to Noah, making him righteous because of his faith alone. And righteousness is a gift extended to us through the favor and the gifting of God. It is not something that we earn on our own. And last week we looked at this untold side of God's mercy from the story of Moses. This, this orphan who becomes a murderer, who despite his doubts and insecurities, his weaknesses, his brokenness, God continues to extend grace to, time and time again. And God does the same then for the people in which Moses is called to lead. Despite their grumbling, their forgetfulness, and their backwards looking, God continues to pour out his mercy And this week, we look at the untold story of Joshua. And through the story of Joshua, I think we'll see how we can uh, analyze how God invites and equips us to live into his promises. Now, God continued to pour out his mercy. And Joshua follows the story of Moses. And God continues to just pour out his mercy on this insecure and struggling Moses. Also, God entrusted Moses with this promise. This promise of freedom. This promise of land. This promise that God's presence will one day reign for them. This morning we look at this guy Joshua. Joshua is a much younger guy than Moses. Joshua was born during their time in Egypt. So why they've been imprisoned in this country, Joshua is born. He has never known his homeland. He has only known captivity. Sometime along the journey... Into the wilderness, this kid, who was part of the Exodus, becomes a helper to Moses. And we might describe Joshua as an aide, or an assistant, or maybe even a mentoree, or an early first disciple of Moses. Joshua comes from the Jewish tribe of Ephraim. And earlier in their wilderness journey, Moses uses Joshua as a spy to to sneak in and to to kind of... Poke around and see what's going on in the promised land. Interesting enough, like Moses, the story and information of Joshua is not only remembered in Jewish history and in Christian history, but he has been remembered as a brave and smart military man. And in addition to that, his history has been remembered even in Muslim and Islamic tradition. What God did with Joshua has been remembered for centuries. Interestingly, as I understand it, the Hebrew word for the name Joshua is very close to the Hebrew word for Jesus. And that word for Joshua simply means salvation. Joshua means salvation. This kid who was born in Egypt, his name means salvation. Now, Joshua would go to lead his people into God's promise of a promised land. And like that, Jesus would go to lead his people into God's promise of a reigning kingdom. Here Joshua, a boy born in captivity, has become the right-hand man of the man who has led his people out of exile. And this is who God uses for his people to experience salvation. The part we probably tell best about Joshua is his famous battle at Jericho. It's a story we love to tell our kids. It's a story we love to sing about, right? Tim and I were having a debate up here this morning. Is it Joshua fought the battle of Jericho or fit the battle of Jericho? Fought. Fit. I guess it depends. I bet if you grew up in a Mennonite church, it was fit. But in my church, we love to march around when we sang this song and we said, Fault. And so I'm assuming that it's probably based on your upbringing. But we love this story. We talk about it, right? Joshua fit or fall to battle Jericho, Jericho. We love to tell this story. But additionally, Joshua has been hailed as one of the biblical uh, story's greatest military leaders. And in Jewish tradition, he's viewed as like, well, you'll still never be as good as a military general as Joshua was. That's the part we don't sing about as much. God uses him in a seven-year campaign and conquest to take the promised land. That's a long battle. Throughout the biblical examples, throughout Christian history and Jewish history, Joshua is known for his leadership ability. He's got leadership skills, as well as his faith that deeply depends on God. Somehow, growing up under an insecure Moses, Joshua has a completely different approach. Moses... Yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of insecure. God, what are we going to do? God, send those people instead. And then we see Joshua who's like bold and strong and ready to take land. This morning in our own told series, we're going to look at how Joshua was invited and equipped to live into God's promise. Now we're going to try something different this morning. Instead of just taking one little passage and kind of uh, trying to analyze the contextual stuff around it and the practical information in it, we're going to try to look at this early account of Joshua in a storybook form. We're going to combine the stories of Numbers and from the stories from the beginning of Joshua, and we're going to look at it as a novel. And so this means we're going to read more scripture than we normally do, but be, I'm doing that because I want the story to speak for itself more than I want to speak for it. I also, I want us to uh, not stop and analyze all the history and the inspirations and the implications of each passage, but rather just draw a few overarching themes and points that come at through this whole story of joshua so we are going to read through the story of joshua i invite you to close your eyes to listen to follow on the screen to follow in your bible whatever way that is going to allow you to engage this story we pick up in numbers 27 15 through 23 moses said to the lord and he's old at this point he's aging May the Lord, the God, who gives breath to all living things, appoint someone over this community to go out and to come before them, one who will lead them out and bring them in, so the Lord's people will not be like a sheep without a shepherd. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, son of Nun. That's a horrible name, right? Didn't be known as the son of Nun. A man in whom is the spirit of leadership, and lay your hand on him. Have him stand before Lazar, the priest, and the entire assembly, and commission him in their presence. Give him some of your authority, so the whole Israelite community will obey him. He is to stand before Lazar, the priest, who will obtain decisions for him by inquiring of the Urim before the Lord. At his command, he and the entire community of the Israelites will go out, and at his command, they will also come in. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua and he had him stand before the priest and the whole assembly. And then he laid his hands on him and he commissioned him. And as the Lord had instructed through Moses. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. Depending on your translation, it may say the spirit of leadership. It happened because Moses laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. Now in this passage, we see that Moses handed off his spiritual anointing, or his mantle, to Joshua. Moses invites the Lord to bring new leadership to the community. He's looking at these people that he's been in charge of, and he says, my time is coming to an end. I've given everything I've got. I'm once again making mistakes. I've created this tension with God. In all reality, for this community to go forward, I am no longer the person to lead it. And because Moses is a great leader, he cries out to the Lord, please bring some new leadership into this community. This is one of the most clear examples in the Bible and in history of leadership that is handed off well. When we think of passing on leadership, we often think, oh, it would be hard to follow a guy like that. I could never step into his shoes. This is a prime example of that. How do you follow Moses? We may talk about his insecurity, but this is a man that we see throughout Exodus that lived his faith in a way that was never seen before. And at the end of Exodus, it even reflects that no one had ever seen miracles like that of which Moses was able to do. Joshua has to follow this great man of God and miracle. Joshua has led his people, I mean, Moses has led his people into promise. But now Joshua has to lead his people into that promise. He himself, Moses, invested this stuff into Joshua at his side. This is the the, the call of being an elder to to realize that whatever it is that God has promised you or equipped you with, that you are to invest it in somebody around you. And in this passage, we see Moses' heart for the people in this passage. He's scared that if the right leader isn't chosen by God, that the people will be like a sheep without the shepherd. He doesn't let the people name their own leadership. He lets God name the leadership. He's scared that if the right person isn't in play, something is going to happen. Moses wants his people to finish well. That's a trait of great leadership. He wants his people to finish well. He doesn't want to meet their comforts. He wants to make sure that they finish their task well. And the, the Lord is faithful with this. He's he hears this request from Moses because God himself also cares for his people. And he promised them that he's going to give them their land. They will get safety. They will engage his presence. So the Lord tells Moses, Hey, that guy Josh that you used as a spy, that guy Josh you have hanging around, that's the man. That's the next leader of our people. Here in this passage, we see that Joshua has been given the spirit of wisdom or the spirit of leadership. So so God tells Moses, hey, go there and lay your hands on him. Now, there's some great significance in this, and we could do a whole sermon on this part alone. And I'm, in essence, Moses is told to lay his hands on him, and that could mean something completely different than when we tell somebody we know, I'm going to lay my hands on you. Or if you ever tell your kids, hey, when dad gets home, he's going to get his hands on you. We don't say stuff like that, right? It's a different, completely different idea. Later on in this story, this is referred to as a mantle, a spiritual cloak. It is literally the passing of a blessing of God. It means that whatever God gave Moses, whatever God put in Moses, Moses is now giving and surrendering to Joshua. He is passing it. Joshua, when I lay my hands on you, in the eyes of this priest, whatever God has put in me, whatever he's anointing me with, whatever gifting he's given me is now yours. That is some crazy spiritual inheritance. It's a spiritual relay race. The runner has run his part, and now he's passed the baton. Moses has passed the baton to the next runner. And the first runner doesn't get to see the finish line. That's where he stopped. He ran well. He got halfway. He passes the baton. However, he did his part. He's he's taken the spiritual anointing baton, and he's passed it on. This thing he's been entrusted with, he has passed on to the next runner. The second thing we see in this part of the story is God will give Joshua the same spiritual authority that he gave Moses. His job is to invite, come in, and challenge his people to go out. I love this idea because Moses is scared that if there isn't right leadership, they are going to be like what? Sheep without a shepherd. He needs somebody who can tell them when to go out and come in. He's using shepherding language. Now, the, the fun part about staffs, especially in his time, and we know it well, is they have this big hook, right? They also have a sharp, pointy thing on the other end. And it's the ideas of when to pull the sheep in and when to push them out. And it's the same thing. Moses wants leadership that is named that has the ability to call in, but also push out. God uses the same imagery as he answers Moses. God tells Moses that when he passes his spiritual anointing, Joshua will have the power to invite his people in and to also challenge them out. Leadership involves this same shepherding staff imagery. It isn't all about how do we cuddle with the sheep. There is some real challenging aspects of leadership that is given by God, to challenge people out of their comfort. There are times that the the hook has to say, whoa, 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 it's time for you to come back in for a while. And there's another time where you use the other side of the staff and say, guys, this isn't the grass you're supposed to be eating. You're supposed to be down there. And you give them a little poke and watch them run. Leadership involves the same idea. Let's continue the story of Joshua from Joshua 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aide, Moses, my servant, is dead. So now Moses has died. Now you and all those people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give him. I will give you, Joshua, every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and be very courageous. Be careful to obey all of the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate it on day and night, so that when you may be careful to do everything written in it, Then you will have a prosperous and successful life. Have I not commanded you? Again, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Then they answered Joshua. The people who Joshua is now in charge of answered him. Whatever you have commanded us to do, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. They have surrendered themselves to him. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we obey you. Now I'm hoping something else happened in the wilderness from the last time that we read this story. Because the people weren't so good at following Moses. But here they surrender themselves. They commit to following Moses. In this part of the story, God commands Joshua to get his people into shape. And to inherit the promise he gave them. Even more than that, he will bless them with every step. They take for him. God only took Moses so far into this journey. The people have been just kind of hanging out in the wilderness. They've been crying out. They've been waiting for the next step. They are ready for something more. And it is not till Moses dies that God decides to end that season of waiting and bring about to them new life. Something it takes. Sometimes it takes a sad death of someone or something to find where God is leading us in a new life. The first thing God commands his people to do in his passage is to get the people ready. Joshua, go to the people. Get them ready. Get them ready. I'm about to do that thing where whenever you step, it's going to be yours. I love this imagery. It's so active. Joshua, get these people off their butts. Start poking them. Tell them when to go out. Tell them when to come in. Joshua, Moses is dead. You're the leader. Get ready. You're a military leader. Lead these people into shape. Get these people ready for what I'm about to do. Why does God want Joshua to put his people on guard? Because the promise that God gave his people through Moses is about to finally happen. There's about to be this sense of great freedom. They're about to get this land. They're about to get this safety. They're about to have the presence of God. Even more than that, God promises that his anointing will be with him at every step he takes, wherever he sets his foot. That is a huge spiritual blessing. Next, we see that God wants Joshua to live strong and courageously into his promise. He doesn't want insecurity. He wants an identity of confidence for Joshua, and the people are surrendered to Joshua. So however Joshua lives, the people are supposed to live as well. right? God is looking at Joshua and he says, Look, I've already spent 40 years in the wilderness with this insecure guy. I ain't got time for that again. I want you to be strong and courageous. Note less than four times in this passage we read, Jesus either said, I mean, God either said, be strong and courageous, or he said it in some other way. Have confidence. Four times. I want you to be strong. I want you to take hold of the promise with confidence. Stop, la- how do we say it, lally daggling or whatever. I want you to be on guard. I want you to be ready to take over. I don't need any more insecurity. I don't need any more, it's not me, send somebody else. I want you to step, and where you step, I will take. Let's just look at this last part of Joshua's story. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving these orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow the land, the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, Now take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And so when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. And now, the Jordan at this time is at flood state during all of harvest. And yet, as soon as the priest who carried the Ark reached the Jordan, this, this river that's at flood status, their feet touched the water's edge, and the water from upstream stopped flowing. And it did more than just dry up, it stopped a great distance away. And ponded up, it had a great heaping of water up there. It stopped at the beginning, a town called Adam, ironically, right? So the people crossed over to the opposite side of Jericho. The priest who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all of Israel passed by unto the whole nation had completely crossed on the dry ground. That's a crazy story. This archaic covenant, the place where the presence of God is literally sitting in their midst, they are told to keep eyes, stand on guard, concentrate yourselves, get yourselves ready. When you see the presence of God move past you, I want you to run after it. But, but don't get too close because, you know, it's a little dangerous to get that close. Only the priests can get that close. When you get when you see it pass by you, go. Leave those places in your camp. Don't worry about where you're comfortable now. Go after it. And He said, I'll be with you every step you take. And that's both literal and spiritual because the minute they step into this like flood zone, the water stops. He literally gets all things that are in their way out of their way. Joshua, oh, I lost my projector, huh? The first thing we see in this passage is Joshua visits the people to implore them to look for the presence of God. It is God's presence that will lead them into this next season. It's not his leadership, it's the presence of God. They'll lead him into this place that is unknown and mysterious. Now Joshua goes to the people personally, and he sends his officers out to them personally, and he tells them, be on standby, get your camps ready. He makes sure that they are ready to leap the minute they see the presence of God. His directions are, as soon as you see it, this place where the literal presence of God When it passes you, I want you to follow the priest. Leave the place you're at and instantly follow it. He tells them, you don't know the way. You haven't been this way before. I'm sure some of them are like, well, yeah, I think I have, right? But you've never been here before. You've never seen what tomorrow looks like. This is a new era. This is a new day. The only thing that is going to lead you into tomorrow is not what you know, but literally the presence of God. And so Joshua then commands the priest. To pick up the presence of God and the Ark of the Covenant. And before the people, he leads them into the mystery of the unknown. Now we watch God keep his promise for them. That wherever they set their foot, it will be theirs. Earlier we read that God said as long as they stick to meditating the law, living courageously, following the presence, they'll both be prosperous and successful. But he also promised them that he'll give them wherever he steps. That was both a spiritual or an abstract idea and a physical, actual promise. He's very much fulfilling what he promised to them in Deuteronomy 3.16. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified of them. For the Lord your God goes with you, or in some passages say he goes before you, and he will never leave you nor forsake you. And we get the same idea as we read the New Testament. Paul's writing to the church in Rome, and he says, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can? If God is for us, who can be? Right. So that is what Joshua is leading with. The presence of God is going. Nothing is going to stand in your way. And we see the stream dry up. So what does this say? This story of Joshua leading God's people tell us about being invited and equipped to live into God's promises. Now, first, we must reflect that God has no problem sending his people into some pretty tough and rough seasons to teach him a lesson. God's people spent 40 years wandering after spending generations in Egypt. After generations of being slaves, God let them wander lost. On top of that, this morning, perhaps we can identify that there are times in our lives or in our church community's lives that we feel that we have been lost in the wilderness. We must pay attention in this season, realizing that sometimes after the death of something comes the hope of a great promise to come. Secondly, even though Moses was a great leader, and, and as even Exodus says and, and Jewish tradition says, maybe the greatest leader ever, he wasn't the leader who was equipped Or called to lead God's people into promise. He was a great leader, if not the best leader, but he didn't have what it took to get people into the promised land. God didn't use a miracle-working prince. He used a boy born as a slave. God uses a younger individual to teach the elders how to take hold of his promise. We must be careful to judge those around us. You will never know who God is using And when he uses you, it's historic. It's historic because it leaves legacy. It leaves spiritual legacy. The story of Joshua is remembered in Jewish tradition, Christian tradition, military history, and Islam. Joshua's story is historic. Thirdly, we must see that God gives us spiritual anointings. Each one of us has a gift that God has given us. Gifts that make us unique. Gifts that we have to nurture to fulfill his promises and his will. This way, we can use it to invest in others. That's everything. Jesus taught that money that is buried in the ground is not as good as money that is risked for investment, right? Moses takes a disciple, he invests leadership traits in him, and then even at the hands of his death, he puts his hands on Joshua and says, what I am, you are now. What I have, you have now. What I've been blessed with is now your blessing. I'm going into retirement. This really challenges us to think about where we are investing what we have been trusted with as individuals and as a church. Whatever that is, whatever it is we've been trusted with as an individual or as a church, God means for it to be handed off, to be invested, not hoarded. So many times when leaders leave a business or pastors leave a church, there is no sense of deposit. I bless you. What I was here now, you are. What this is, you have now. And unfortunately, we kind of hoard that anointing or that gift that we have, and we go and use it somewhere else. Moses does not. He says, it is time for new leadership, and it is yours. I am done. Hands off. Fifth. God wants us to be ready for his promises by looking for his presence. God is a God who keeps his promises, and he wants us on alert. He doesn't want us growing comfortable in the camping of wilderness. He wants us alert. He doesn't want us growing comfortable and concreted to a place, a certain path, or anything else. God is a God who's always on the move. God is a God who's always on the move. And he wants us ready and looking for his presence wherever he is leading. We don't know the path of tomorrow. We have never been to tomorrow as individuals or as a church. Nothing stays the same. However, it is only because of, that we're looking for the presence of God that we will know the way through tomorrow. Sixth, God wants us to live into his promise with confidence so we can see through it. When we live into God's promise, he doesn't want us to come any way but confidently, following his presence, and he will bless every step. The tactics of the enemy will not stand in our way. Jesus proves this with his own temptation in the desert. God's people prove this with the story in the wilderness. He wants leadership of his kingdom that moves with spiritual strength and confidence. Lastly, what's his promise? Israel got their promise, right? They got their land. What is it for us? What, what is it the promise that he's entrusted us? What is it that we're to use our gifts for? Is it heaven? Is it just to be, you know, way out our own promised land of sorts? No, meditate on the New Testament. The New Testament is full of Jesus' promises. Meditate on the word day and night. Seek me and you'll find me. You will even see bigger things than I have. You You will see heaven open. You will see the kingdom of God. You will receive the Holy Spirit and you will do greater things than you saw me do. You will receive the living water. You will receive eternal life. You will act in my name and people will get healed. Spirits will be driven out. Man, when we look at the promises God's given us, It's easy to realize how tame we've made our faith. Joshua had to lead his people into a big battle to conquer the land. And we have that same reality. We are called to pursue our promises from Jesus at all costs and in the same way. Guys, get in here, because it's not that way. It's that way. Now, I think there's a few things that we can respond to from this story this morning. This is going to be my last point. I think there are five places that God is inviting us to respond this morning. And if you feel the Lord is inviting you to respond to any of these, I will invite you to come forward for prayer during this last song. I think, first of all, for some of us, God wants to remind us. He wants to remind us what he's entrusted us with. We've grown comfortable with the tents in the wilderness. We've sort of lost our way. And I think for you guys this morning, as I was praying last night, God wants to remind you of what he's entrusted you with. He wants to remind you of what he's entrusted you with, not for your sake, but so you can invest it and pass it on to others. Stop hoarding his gifts. He wants to remind you of what he's given you so that you know what to give to other people. Don't take him to the grave. Moses didn't take his to the grave. Secondly, for some of us this morning, I think God's inviting you to ask him for spiritual strength and courage. I think you've allowed life to make you insecure, weak, And faithless. God wants you to move forward into this next era with spiritual strength and courage. Now, I think for others of us this morning, I think we need a reminder of his promises for ourselves. Israel got their promised land. What promise do we have? Jesus made countless promises to his followers. He promised the Holy Spirit, he promised to be with them to the end of times. He promised that they will lay their hands on people. But I think for some of you, you might need to hear a promise from God for yourself. I'm telling you, this is your promise. And so in the last song, I encourage you to lift that up. Others this morning might need to remember to actively look for God's presence. Perhaps you've mapped out your own journey. You know how to get through tomorrow. You have good foundations of what was. You think you know the best way into tomorrow, even though you haven't ever been there. You've allowed your comfort, your place, your yesterday or something else in your journey to be more important. Maybe you even hold the scriptures and the promises of scriptures more than the presence of God. And God says, stand on that ground and look for my presence because this is the way forward for you and your church. Lastly, I think some of you might need to respond to the shepherd's hook imagery. I think some of you have found that important. Perhaps you have worked independently for so long. You've done your own thing. And like Israel, you actually need to enter a season where you are finding yourself looking at whoever God has put in your life as a leader and surrendering to them. In some way, you're identifying who is it that is the Joshua's in your life and allowing those Joshua's to take the hook and pull you in for a little bit. God is using those leaders in your life to both invite you in work on you to take you out of some situations, and also challenge you out in new ways. God is wanting to poke and provoke you into new areas, and for some of you, he might want to reel you in for a little bit and sit down. Those are the ways that I invite you to respond to this story as the worship team comes and closes our time out together.